Father, we thank you that um, through Christ, you give us a vision to which we can understand, see, and engage with this world. And so God, when you speak, when you call, and we feel compelled to move, that we do so knowing that once again, you truly are the light that guides our path, the lamp unto our feet. Let us cling tightly to your word. Let us see this world through the truth that we know is in Christ, that you would be exalted and lifted high in our lives, both now and forevermore. God, be with us now as we turn to your word, that it true would help shape our vision and our understanding of these things, and that you would be glorified in us in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. You may be seated. All right. Uh, lots to cover today. Again, I've, I've loved uh, really researching this new series that we started last week that we've titled, What is True? And as I said last week, that to me is, is probably the key question at this point in, in our society in a lot of ways in which we are trying to figure out and discern the answer to that question. What, what is true? And, and last week, we really tried to accentuate the importance of the question and the increasing complexity that we have to face now in order to answer it, especially in our society. And, and I know that for several folks that I, I spoke with after last week, it was a little sobering, right? A little concerning. Last week's message was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, and, and I wanted us to feel a little bit of that uh, because it, it helps con convey the importance of the question. Uh, but my hope is that today's message, along with what we talked about last week, gives us a little bit more peace in it in figuring out how do I discern that which is true? How do I navigate all these different things in this uh, complex society? So just to keep in mind some of the things we established last week, we talked about one of the reasons that this has become increasingly complex in our particular culture is because our democracy has, has really built itself around a trust in strong relationships, social networks, strong trust in institutions, and trust in shared stories. And we're at a point in our nation's history where all those things have diminished and become weaker. And, and so we're, we've all of a sudden had a truth problem. We're, we're struggling with understanding what is true, how to discern truth, and technology has really complicated those things to a whole nother degree. And so we walked through a lot of those challenges and complexities, but what I really introduced to you was uh, really a prayer that I hope you've been praying for this past week based on Psalm 25, that we can pray to God to say, Lord, guide me in your truth. You are my Savior. You're my hope all day long. But also, a passage that I want to remind you of again this morning, John 18, where Jesus interacts with Pilate. And in that discussion, Jesus says, I have come into this world. I was born to testify to the truth. Right? Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so with that declaration, what we see is that Jesus is ultimately the answer to our question. What is true? Christ. Right? He is our vision. He is the way in which we discern this complex society. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail here in just a moment. Now, as we begin to work through how do I use Jesus, how do I use his scriptures as a lens to discern truth in this increasingly complex society, part of what I want to remind you of this morning as well is the way in which <clears throat> excuse me, this conversation relates to our theme for the year of, of living courageously. Right? We've talked about the importance of being courageous and living courageously. But part of what I want us to see as we go through this series is that knowing the truth, yes, sometimes can make you more courageous. But the reality is, is that that's not a guarantee, right? Knowing truth 
Discerning truth does not always equate to being courageous. You can know the truth and still be incredibly timid, right? And still be uh, very uh, hesitant, right? Move with trepidation, even if you think you know what is true. And similarly, you can be courageous for the wrong things. You can be courageous for a lie. So discerning truth doesn't necessarily make you courageous. It makes your courage more honorable. And an example that I could draw from, I've told you all before that my wife loves cults, right? And by that, what I mean is she likes documentaries about cults. It's not like she's out there joining them or trying to start them or anything like that. Um, but we recently watched a documentary again about uh, the Branch Davidians and the situation in Waco that took place in the 90s. And we finished it last night. And again, just seeing the way that that conflict ended was tragic. Uh, I think more than 80 people lost their life in that conflict, and the majority of the Branch Davidians that lost their life, they did so dying for what they believed was true, right? I mean, it was an act of courage, right? But when we look in on it, we see it as a tragedy because we knew that that courage was anchored in something that was deceptive, something that was misleading, right? So discerning truth doesn't necessarily make you more courageous, but it makes your courage more honorable, and that's why this process of discernment is so important. And then the following weeks that we're going to have over the next several weeks in terms of how do I share this truth effectively in this complex society as well. So today is about discernment. And when we use the word discernment, essentially what we're talking about is the ability to judge a person's uh, or situation, things, people accurately. And, and to be able to judge it in a very uh, appropriate and accurate way. And that's not always easy to do when you think about discernment. And so what I want to do today is I want to have kind of a, a two-pronged conversation where first we just talk about this practically. How, what are some things that I can do uh, to have a healthy approach to discerning that which is true? And then we're going to really dive into the scriptures. So the scriptures are coming later. Now, we talked in our planning service this morning that a lot of times that makes you nervous, like that I'll be preaching for 25, 30 minutes, and then we'll get to the text. You'll be like, oh my gosh, we're never going home. So that's a little bit of what it's going to be like today, but I'll be succinct as much as I can. Um, so all that said, let's start practically, okay? When we talk about the importance of, of discerning truth, we, we've already established that it's incredibly important as we talked about it last week. How now am I able to discern it? Uh, one of the things that I want to emphasize, and this is just kind of at the start of it, is uh, there's a, a pretty robust uh, process of evaluation that I would encourage you to go through when you engage in this posture of discernment. And the first one is, is really just about evaluating your rhythms in life and making sure that they're healthy. And, and I'll just briefly touch on this one, but I do think it's worth mentioning. When I talk about rhythms, I've been trying to think about the best way to describe this and the categories that I'm thinking about. And the terminology that I kept going back to was input versus output. Here's what I mean. When you think about input, that to me is the fact that we live in a time in human history unlike any other. We have access to more information that has ever been possible for anybody in the course of human history. And it's not just that it's available, we are bombarded with it through numerous means, right? I mean, it can be through your phone, it can be through your personal computer, your inbox, notifications, podcasts, radio, TV, newspapers, if you still get those, like over and over again, you are bombarded with information, it's input, right? Things that are coming into your mind, your heart, your soul. And, and you're getting bombarded with all that in a society that has trained us and conditioned us to consume. Consume, consume, consume. So much of our rhythm is driven by input. Okay, so that's, that's kind of what I mean 
by input. Now, consider output. What I mean by output are things that you are contributing, things that you might be creating, okay? And so this could be a lot of different things, things that are leaving you. Uh, exercise could be an example. There are numerous studies that talk about the physical exertion, what that does to you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It kind of cleanses your mind, empties your mind, rather than just keeping your mind filled with, with garbage and other different things, right? That there are certain benefits to it. Think about journaling, writing. Thoughts are leaving your body and onto a page. Art, you draw, you create, you sculpt, right? It's, it's something that you are producing. It's output, singing, that song goes from being in your soul to something you give out into the air. You think about gardening, being in nature. You create a, a garden, uh, plants, flowers, all these things that are beyond you. Service, right? You go to a food kitchen, you deliver groceries, you go and volunteer somewhere. Like all these things are output, okay? So I think for us to have a healthy approach to life, especially our ability to discern which is true, we need to have a, an appropriate balance, a healthy rhythm of input versus output. Okay, so evaluate what are your rhythms with those things. And I can't tell you that there's any sort of study that I came across that says, well, here's what it should be, right? Here's the perfect ratio. I think that will vary from one person to the next. But what I would tell you is strive for some level of balance, okay? Whether it's truly 50-50 or something in that neighborhood, I don't know. What we, I think we need to guard against are the extremes. If you think about the rhythms of your life, and like 90% of it is input and consumption, then there's a good chance you have like insulated yourself, you've gone down this rabbit hole, and that you, you've detached yourself a little bit from society, and, and you are losing a sense of your ability to discern. That's, that's not a very healthy place to be. Similarly, if you're all output, and you're out there and you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, but you're never stopping to inform yourself, and you're serving left and right, but then you're like, what, there's a war in Ukraine? Like, that's a problem too, because then you're not informed. Your engagement with the world is not informed either. So my main point there practically is to say, evaluate those rhythms of input and output. Now, ultimately, when you sit down to discern truth, typically that is going to be a measure of what is coming in, right? And how am I discerning this input that I'm now engaged in? That's, that's a lot of where the truth discernment process happens. So when you reach that point, before you actually engaging with that sort of input, here's the other thing I want you to evaluate. I want you to evaluate your heart. Okay, that, this is critical. If you're going to ask the question, what is true? Evaluate your heart when you ask that question. Are you asking that question honestly? Here's a way that you can determine if you're asking it honestly. Uh, give yourself this question. Here's the litmus test. Am, am I seeking to learn or to confirm? Two very different mindsets, right? Learning seeks to take a more holistic approach. Confirming says, I've already got a certain idea. I've already got a certain conclusion. I just want to substantiate it, right? And that will influence your heart in this process. Part of what we're talking about is confirmation bias. Okay, and we've, we've hit on this a little bit in the past. Britannica.com has a pretty good detailed entry if you wanted to go look at it. But essentially, confirmation bias is that tendency to say, I'm going to exclude certain information and just receive input that's going to confirm my certain biases and what I've already believed. Right? I'm seeking to confirm, not really learn. And the reason we are prone to this, uh, what Britannica.com highlights, are that there's a lot of natural benefits to it. Number one, doing that is oftentimes more efficient and easy. 
right? It takes a lot more time and effort to seek out a lot of different opinions and perspectives. So if I can just go ahead and conclude my own and confirm it, that's a much more quicker way to do this. Right? Uh, not only that, uh, is it based on efficiency? Sometimes it's self-esteem. Doesn't it feel good to prove yourself right? See, I knew it. Look at this. Here's all the evidence. I was right. Like it builds your self-esteem. Sometimes we're prone this way because of outside voices that have already told us what to think or what to believe. And so now we've already got a certain impression about a particular person, issue, or situation. Right? We're really prone to confirmation bias. That can be very problematic when answering what is true. Think about this in different uh, arenas of life. If a doctor operates that way, walks in, sees a patient, and has an immediate bias or suspicion of what the diagnosis should be, and just only does the research to confirm that suspicion and that bias, and doesn't take a holistic approach, he could miss, he or she could miss the diagnosis. Similar if you're a patient, right? Like if you self-diagnose on WebMD beforehand, you're like, this is what I got and you can exclude medical expertise, that can be problematic. Look in the legal arena, judges, juries. If you have a bias towards a particular issue or situation, that is not gonna make you fair and objective. It goes on and on and on. You have to evaluate your heart. Now you might be sitting there going, now Jeremiah, I hear you, but I really don't struggle with confirmation bias. I'm a pretty objective person. Let me just tell you how easy this is. I think I've used this illustration before, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, Here's, here's how our hearts often work. You ever driving down the highway and uh, all of a sudden somebody cuts you off on the highway? Now, when that happens and someone cuts you off, I'm willing to bet the majority of you don't respond by going, I am so sorry I was in your way. You clearly have something way more important than I do. Please go right ahead. I know you need to be on your phone as well because it's probably a pretty important issue. So by all means, move ahead. None of us thinks that way. Somebody cuts us off, it ignites some form of fury, and then you're like, watch out, what were you doing? You nearly killed me. Get off your phone. Now, switch the roles. Let's say you accidentally cut someone off. How do you view yourself? Do you often look at yourself and go, what were you doing, you idiot, get off your phone? You go, oh, I'm so sorry, I've gotta be somewhere really quick. Somebody just called me, it was an important phone call, and you justify all of it. It's confirmation bias. Right now, okay, so we've got to evaluate our heart. Here's why this is so important in society. And I know we know this, but I need to state it because I'm not sure everyone fully practices this and understands it. Technology, okay, is now how we're trying to discern truth more often than not. I told you the data last week. Pew Research has said 86% of people are now getting their information through digital media for the demographic of 18 to 29. More than 70% are getting their information through social media or search engines, okay? We know this, but think through it. Social media, search engines, even other platforms on digital media, media are designed by algorithms, not by truth. They are created to make money. That's what they're there for. And the way they make money is to convince advertisers and other sponsors that they are exceptional at user engagement, to keep you engaged. So the algorithms are driven to keep you engaged, to keep you searching, to keep you on their site. Not truth. Let me give you how this works out, okay? Um, not too long ago, I'm having breakfast with a friend of mine and we're talking about UBC's website. Uh, he, he's in that realm and in that arena. We we're talking about ways to make it more effective. And one of the ways that you make a website more effective is to help it show up at a high level on Google. 
right? And so we were talking about ways to do that. And he said, well, let's see where you guys rank right now. Go ahead and put in Baptist Church Fort Worth in Google and see where it lands. So I typed in Baptist Church Fort Worth on my phone. I was like, hey, look at that. UBC's like number one. This is great. And, and the reason it was number one on my search is why? Because it knows me. It knows I've visited ubcfortworth.org numerous times. It predicted what I would want to see and what I would engage with, and it was the number one hit. My friend, he types in Baptist Church in Fort Worth. It was nowhere near the top. Here's the point. The point is, a lot of times, we sit down at these search engines and these, these media feeds, and we think we are getting an objective presentation of truth. That if you and I put the same question into a search engine, we're going to be looking at the same results, and that is not the case. And so you'll start doing this research, and be like, how doesn't anybody else see this? And the reason is because they don't see it. So you have to ask yourself, when I sit down to answer this question, what is true, am I seeking to actually learn or just confirm what I already believe? And I need to go in with an awareness that the tools I'm now using are designed to tell me what I want to hear. It's the most patronizing tool we've ever created. It just wants to give you what it thinks you want to hear, which means you've got to think about how you actually use these tools in a more constructive way. Okay, that's number one, evaluate your heart. Now, the next step is once you actually begin to engage in these technological tools, you've got to evaluate the input itself. Uh, the first thing I would say is that whatever you are using to help discern truth, uh, you need to diversify as a result your sources, okay? Uh, let's just be pretty honest. One of the tendencies in our society right now is to look at almost anything, especially as it relates to media, news, stories, truth, and categorize it as either conservative or liberal, especially politically, especially theologically. Like, is your church conservative or liberal? Oh, okay, it's one of those. Right? We do this all the time, but it's not just in those arenas. We do it with finances. We do it with parenting. We, we constantly evaluate those things. The challenge with that is that what means what you might see as conservative is not what the next person sitting next to you sees as conservative. So we all have these different metrics and spectrums, but you all know you have them. And so when we start to seek information, we tend to categorize this information based on that lens. I guarantee you, through the course of my teaching here, any sermon that I've given, whenever I reference a source and I say, well, this article from the New York Times or the Atlantic or this study from Fox News or whatever, every single one of you in some capacity starts to discern that report based on your perception of that source. Right? Oh, that's too liberal for me. Oh, that's perfect. I can't wait to hear more. Right? Like, we do this all the time. So we know the spectrum. We know that it's out there. Diversify it. Right? Diversify it. If you only give yourself conservative sources or you only give yourself liberal sources, you're just creating confirmation bias. Right? And, and we do this all the time theologically. Let's, let's take an issue like women in ministry. You know how easy it is that's, that's probably the one doctrinal question I get asked more than any other. You know how easy it would be to research a position on women in ministry and only get one side of that argument and build up all this evidence to say, well, here's why women should be in ministry. You know how easy it is to get all this other evidence that says this is why they shouldn't be in ministry? Read them both. Diversify. And when I say diversify, it needs to go beyond just liberal and conservative 
we need to consider diversification beyond race, ethnicity, and culture. Right? Some of the, one of my favorite news sources right now is the BBC. Like, I love to hear what Europeans think about what's going on here. Right? Uh, reading from different cultural lenses and perspectives is incredibly insightful and valuable. I'm in a book club with some neighbors. You're going to hear more about that as this series progresses. But one of the books that we read uh, was a book called Zealot that was written by a man by the name of Reza Aslan. He's a Muslim man, and the premise of the book is to argue that Jesus is not a Messiah, but just a political zealot. Totally different cultural background, totally different religious background. And I didn't just say, oh, I'll never read it. I read it. Completely against what I believe. But I was willing to read it. Right? Diversification is really valuable. It's really, really important. And one of the reasons we don't always embrace that diversification is because we judge the packaging before we judge the content. We do this all the time. Right? We, we, we put up these labels on these different sources. We say, well, I'm never going to read this because it's not in alignment with what I believe. It's fake news, whatever it is. And we won't even take time to actually read the content. Right? Like, like work through it to read the content, be informed, and see what, other, what another position might actually articulate. Right? This diversification is incredibly important. Now, I would also tell you one element, one more element to the diversification process and then why it's beneficial is don't just diversify in, time, in terms of the type of source, but the means, the media, right? Don't just rely upon a screen to be the source of your information and your input, right? Listen to podcasts, read a book. Here's the one I really want to emphasize. Have a conversation with someone. Like, if I could stress anything else that will help us diversify and our ability to discern truth, sit down and visit with someone. We have created this digital bubble that has made us issue-focused rather than people-focused. And we have to humanize these conversations, especially within the church. Like, like there is so much value to better understand truth by having a conversation. I was listening to a podcast um, recently, and it was one of the church members actually gave me, and I've forgotten the name. It's Henry Blackaby's son, uh, Mr. Blackaby, who uh, was being interviewed, and Henry Blackaby wrote Experiencing God. And at one point, he was talking in this interview about the value of writing and all these different things, and he referenced this African proverb that I thought was so great. There's this African proverb that says, when an old man dies, a library burns to the ground. Loved that. And they were, they were talking about it from the lens of writing, but to me, it's the same with conversation. When you sit down with someone, it's like walking into a library. Help me understand your story, your background, your memories, your experiences. Humanize it, diversify it. Now, the reason this diversification is so meaningful, here's what I would argue. It teaches you how to think, not what to think. There's a big difference there. And I think as believers, those who are serious about discerning what is true, we need to learn how to think and not just what to think. This is something I really took away from my seminary experience. I went to Fuller Seminary, and uh, Fuller is a non-denominational seminary, which means they didn't have an identified doctrine and polity that they had to make sure they had to educate you on, which meant the student body was incredibly diverse. And so the position uh, at Fuller Seminary with the faculty was really, if I could summarize it, defend your position. Right? Like, whatever you want to argue, see if you can defend it. 
And that was pretty interesting. That, that meant I encountered some pretty crazy ideas from time to time, but also some really thought-provoking ones. And because we all came from different backgrounds, I would hear people arrive with totally different conclusions and what I was accustomed to, what I had grown up with, but they were using scripture, they were using thought, and it made me go, no, wait, why do I believe what I believe? And it was very enriching. It was very constructive. I get out of seminary, I go to, to work, and one of my friends that I'm working with had gone to a different seminary, and we were talking one day, and he starts telling me how excited he was to read this new book by N.T. Wright. And he says, yeah, I can't wait to read it. We weren't allowed to read N.T. Wright in seminary. And I was like, what? He goes, no, 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 we, we couldn't cite him on any papers or anything. He's like, this is one of my first books to ever read. That was an environment that taught you what to think. Here's my question. Why are we so afraid of a counter viewpoint? It doesn't mean you have to buy into it. it. Doesn't mean you have to believe it. But why do we get so angry? Why do we put walls up before we even have a conversation with someone? We don't need to be fearful of that. Now, as we get to the biblical lens, we'll, we'll get the, the necessary tools to make sure we stay anchored, but diversify your input. Last point on this practically, then I'll get to the text. Um, when you do that, you have to also really evaluate the source. Okay, this is incre increasingly important, especially in the digital age. If you are going to have a diversification of input, be it through conversation, be it through digital media, you've got to really know, who am I speaking with? Who's writing this? Who's created this? Who's, who's talking on this video? Right, you've got to really do some homework and evaluate the source. Here are some questions I would encourage you to ask yourself whenever you engage in this discernment process. Ask yourself, is this author or person trustworthy? Is the platform trustworthy and why? And is the purpose trustworthy and why? Ask yourself those questions. If you're in a conversation, chances are it's a lot easier to, to go through those questions because you're gonna have some sort of relational connection that tells you why you're having this conversation, why you're asking those questions, or you can at least get those questions asked in that conversation. But when you're online, it's a lot harder. One of the first things I do when I come across an article is I see who wrote it, and then I go check out their bio. And after I check out their bio, I try to verify their bio. Did they actually go to school where they said they went to school? Did they actually work where they say they work? What's their website that they're a part of? Like, do some homework. It is easy in the digital age to fake these credentials, to fake experience, to create a whole persona that isn't accurate. Do your homework. Same thing with the platform. Right? It's one thing to say, okay, I know this platform or this, this source might lean left or might lean right or whatever we want to assign, whatever kind of label to it. But it's another thing to say, oh, I just think it's completely untrustworthy. Well, why? And maybe there's some good reason that it's untrustworthy, but do your homework. And for both of them, whether it's a, a platform or a, source, a particular author or source, ask yourself, is there a purpose that is objective? Is there a purpose behind what they're writing or what they're producing or what they're saying? Right? And even if there is, if there is an agenda, that doesn't mean you can't listen to it. So for example, let's say you want to figure out what your stance should be on gun control. Right? Go look at the NRA. See what they have to say. But you should know they kind of have an agenda with whatever they're going to tell you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't look at it. Just don't only look at it. Does that make sense? Evaluate these things. Whatever these issues are, take some time to evaluate. 
your input, your rhythms. Evaluate your heart. Evaluate the input. And is it diverse? Evaluate the sources. And all those things will help you discern truth. Now, here's where we get to the scripture, okay? All that being said, there is no source, no platform, no individual, no purpose that is greater or more trustworthy than Christ and his word. It is the lens through which we should discern all of it. When Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me, when we ask ourselves these questions about what is the true in the society and how to engage, all of it should be filtered through the lens of Christ. He should be our vision. So let me be very clear, in this church, we are gospel-centered and biblically guided. That is the lens through which I want all of us to seek to discern and answer the question, what is truth? So let's just quickly start there and then get to 2 Peter to use that framework that we talked about in the children's message, okay? When we say Jesus, is, here is the simple truth that we find throughout the scriptures. There is a creator. You are created in his image. There is a separation from him because of our sin. And the story of the scriptures is God's plan to reconcile you and the world back unto himself. And that that reconciliation is revealed fully through Jesus, who if we believe in him, if we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and believe in our hearts that Jesus raised him from the dead and have that trust in faith, not by works, then we get to be with him forever. That is the truth that helps us discern everything that we see in society. And I think 2 Peter gives us a great snapshot at it. Let's look at it real quick. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to focus in briefly on verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7 in that list of qualities. But I'm going to read you the context around it, okay? Um, because I think there's some important context that helps us frame it. Here's what it says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, Godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to conform, confirm your calling and election for you. If you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Okay, so much about this. The whole letter is phenomenal and great. In verse two, Paul introduces the theme of knowledge. Right, that this is about knowledge, and it is a, sorry, Paul doesn't introduce this, 2 Peter. Sorry, I've been in Romans too long. Right, knowledge is a dominant theme for this letter. And and that's what we're talking about, discernment, comprehension, understanding, knowing. And so you see that as a theme. You get to those qualities in verse 5, 6, and 7, but look at the results that are mentioned in verse 8 and 9. Here's what happens when you have this knowledge and you add these different qualities in this biblical uh, lens to look at these things. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. You're going to know what's true. Your courage will be honorable. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. It's going to be based on deception. It's going to be a lie. You're going to forget that you have been cleansed from your past sins. Look at verse 12. I'll love this. So I'm going to remind you of these things, even though you know them and you're firmly established in this truth. That's why we gather every week. That's why we encourage discipleship groups. That's why we're like, come to Enrich, bring your kids. Wednesday, Sunday, make it a bigger priority than anything else in your life so that when we gather, we can remind one another of what we know is true. Because every other day of the week, you're going to be bombarded by so much information and so many other things. Even if you know these things, we need to remind them. So that no matter how long you may live, you can always remember these things. That's why we gather. To remind each other this is what is true. That in his love, we will delight. That he will be our vision. That on his word, we will rely. It's why we sing. It's why we're here. And then you hear him say it. We didn't follow cleverly devised stories. This isn't a lie. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Love it. Such a beautiful text. Now, look at the qualities, okay? I'm going to quickly go through these um, to, to help us understand the lens through which we can use for discernment for what is true. Uh, you can see the qualities referenced there pretty easily, right? You have this faith, this trust, so add goodness, right? That you are to be a good person. There should be a goodness in your life, and that goodness will lead to knowledge, that you're to love God with your mind, with your heart, your soul, in your mind. You should have comprehension. You should be able to discern, and as you get that ability to discern, it's going to lead to self-control, because guess what you're going to discover? You're sinful. You're prone to confirmation bias. You're prone to impulses. You're prone to sin and to the flesh, and so you're going to have to have self-control. Guess what? It's going to be hard, because you live in a broken world. You're bombarded by these things. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to find endurance, but persevere. Strive for that endurance. Why? Because it'll lead to godliness, which is what should be your pursuit because you're made in his image. You're to reveal your creator with your life. And that godliness, because you reveal him, is going to naturally create a mutual affection for one another and ultimately in love, like you can see the way in which it should shape you. And we'll be able to build upon that these last few weeks. Here's how I synthesize them for us today to use this as a biblical lens for discernment, okay? Think about these qualities. And when you start to sit down and ask yourself this question, what is true? And you start evaluating all the ways that you're sifting through that input and those conversations. Here's the first thing I don't want you to ever lose sight of, love. We are called to love. 
So be it in a conversation, an article, a news clip, whatever, if anything is communicating to you to do anything other than love, it is misleading. We are never called to hostility, to violence, to hate. Even if you say, but there are enemies. Well, guess what Jesus says we should do to our enemies? Love. You want to know a lens of how to discern if anything is pulling you out of love, it is not of God. It's not who you're created to be. Not just love, but transformation. Right? It, you, could, you could extract the qualities of goodness, of self-control, maybe even a, a hint of perseverance there, right? What are we, what are we taught? We're sinful people. We're, we're called to be transformed. And so you may encounter things in the world that you may read that are true of the flesh, but are not true of the spirit, right? That there is a gospel that tells you you are called and able to be changed and transformed. And others have that same opportunity. They're not perfect. You're not perfect. And so the lens through which we see these things is not acceptance. It's not permission. It's to say, oh, we need a hope that can change us and transform us. It's not just transformation, it's purpose. When you seek to understand what is truth, never forget what Christ has revealed is your true purpose in this life, which is to make disciples, right? To glorify God by sharing this love, by sharing this hope, by sharing this gospel with others. That is what you're here for, right? You're not in these conversations to win an argument. You're in these conversations to make disciples. That's the truth. So if you win an argument but destroy a relationship, so what? You've lost. The lens through which we discern these things to say, how do I use this story? How do I understand their perspective to better make disciples? This is always your purpose. You never graduate from it. You never retire from it. It's what is God has gifted us to do? Purpose. Here's the other thing you need to keep in mind when you discern what is truth. Your propensity towards fear. Right? Notice the call in 2 Peter there towards perseverance. I think one of the biggest issues we have and our culture is fear. Man, when we hear something that is not in alignment with what I already believe, I'm afraid of it. And so I'm gonna combat it with anger, hostility, or whatever it is. We are so afraid of these things. We're afraid of the world going um, down a dangerous path or a negative path and all these different things, and we respond consistently out of fear. Here's the truth, right? Go to Matthew 24 and see what Jesus says we're going to encounter, right? In Matthew 24, he starts this discourse about the end times and says, don't let anyone deceive you. <laughs> there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. There's gonna be famines. There's gonna be pestilence. There's gonna be plagues. There's gonna be all these terrible things. It's going to be awful. And what he says is that because of that, he knows it's going to ignite fear, that because of that fear, you're gonna be prone to be deceived. Don't be deceived because of your fear. What he says right in the middle of that discourse, don't let your love grow cold, persevere. What are you afraid of? Said it last week. Somebody disagrees with you, like somebody has a different viewpoint, 
It impacts schooling, impacts education, impacts our nation. What is it that you're facing in life today that can take Jesus off his throne? Let me tell you, nothing. There is nothing to fear. Don't let your love grow cold. Which leads me to my final point, the biblical lens to help us discern, understand which kingdom you live for. We do not live for an earthly kingdom or a kingdom made by human hands or a kingdom of our own. We live for Christ and an eternal kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. That's the truth. Everything you encounter, every issue, everything that you put in needs to go through that lens. And, And it's very clear in this letter, isn't it? And you should add to your faith these things. You should thirst for these things, and it's going to take effort. So make the effort. It's worth it. I'll close with this. Um, here's the image I want you to hold on to this week. I think about the way in which we try to interpret our world and all the different ways that we do this. And we all have these lenses, we have all these perspectives that have kind of influenced it. And I want to return to maybe like a childhood innocence, right? To, to break free from that kind of um, prideful disposition where we say, well, I've, I'm really educated, I really know all these things. I think one of the real beneficial ways to discern is through humility, right? I think that, that positions you to learn more than confirm. And it's honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of parenting. It can be a little annoying at times, but you know like the stage where the kids just are sponges and they're asking you everything. Like, I know sometimes it can be tiresome, but, but so many times I just love it. And, and Wu is kind of like coming out of that stage, but he's still somewhat in there. You know what I'm talking about, where they just ask questions. You can be driving down the road, you can be in the grocery store, you can be anywhere, and they're like, what's that? What is this? Why? Like every, all these questions. And as a dad, I love being able to tell him. Right? Oh, well, this is what that is. This is how that was made. This is why we do those things. And he's eager to hear his father's voice. That's the spirit with which I think we need to discern. When you say, what is true, who are you asking? Whose voice are you listening to? Know that you have a loving father that is eager to come beside you and reveal it so eager that he took on flesh and dwelt among us and gave his life so that your heart and your mind would be open to it. That he preserved his sacred word for thousands of years so that you could consult it. That he gave you his spirit so that it would illuminate you. You want to discern what is true? Ask your father. And when you do, you will see something beautiful take place where the one who has revealed what is true, this Jesus, inhabits your life and is magnified within you. And that's the sort of people we want to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And we are so grateful for who you are. God, we confess there are so many times we are led astray. And we fall after the things that are of this world. We listen to voices that are not of you. God, we respond with a posture and a spirit that is not 
in alignment with who you have called us to be. And yet, God, you continue to welcome us, refine us, and to shape us. So help us to be the sort of people that long to add to their faith, that thirst for these qualities, and can bring them into our lives because we are able to discern, we make the effort to discern that which is true according to your scripture, according to Christ. And we would live accordingly. God, that we would do so with such courage, we would do so with such love and compassion, without fear and trepidation, clinging to such purpose, knowing of power of transformation, that Christ would be magnified in us because he is true. God, we are so grateful for that truth. So let this be our prayer. Let this be our commitment to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.